Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It was close there a couple times, wasn't it? It is Friday, September 30th, 2022, and I've compiled some of the top true crime stories from around the world. Thank you very much. This is James Renner. There's the seal of approval. Now, some people pointed out to me this past week that uh, the Obsessed Network and Patrick Hines, a friend of the show, although he doesn't answer my love letters anymore, um, also uses a bell. They call it the garbage bell, and they ring it anytime they talk about garbage people. I guess it kind of fits. We're all garbage. I'm garbage. So uh, I'm going to keep it. But uh, it's just kind of a ringer for uh, name rec. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you like Pavlov's dog, I guess. But I like it. Anyways, thank you for joining the show. If you're, uh, you, wherever you're getting it, uh, wherever podcasts are sold or on YouTube. And uh, thank you for the new viewers on YouTube. We've doubled in the last week, which is super exciting. So, uh, you know. Subscribe if you're finding us for the first time, and we do this every Friday. Uh, hey, um, some news at the top of the show. Don't forget, I'm going to be at the PNW, that's the Pacific Northwest, uh, True Crime Fest next weekend, which is October 8th and 9th. I'm going to be there on the 9th on Sunday, so if you've got to pick a day, pick Sunday. Uh, I'll be on a true crime panel with the likes of Greg Olson and Ann Bremner. Um, it should be fun. Uh, hope to see you there. Let's get to the top stories. Adnan Syed. Again, this time's a little different. I don't know if you heard about this, but this week, you know, last week, Adnan was set free. And everybody celebrated. It was well, almost not quite everybody. A lawyer working for Young Lee, the brother of Heyman Lee, filed a notice of appeal in court just Wednesday of this week in the hopes that they can convince a new judge to put Adnan back in prison. This according to the Washington Post. Now, the, the basis of this appeal has not been uh, put into the court record yet, but Young Lee's attorney says there were potential violations of Maryland's victims' rights statutes. Heyman Lee's family could not really participate in that hearing that happened September 19th when Adnan went free, and they're, they're pretty pissed about it. Prosecutors, remember, have 30 days to decide whether or not to retry Adnan, but it's very unlikely since it was the prosecutors themselves that asked the court to vacate his conviction this time. So uh, this appeal that Heyman Lee's family, although very understandable, uh, understandable that they're angry that they were kind of kept out of uh, being consulted 
with Adnan going free, it's very unlikely that this will result in Adnan actually going back to prison. So, uh, but keep an eye on it. It's interesting. I have to, the second story today, it's crazy. I don't know how I haven't heard about this. It's probably because we're in the States and far removed from Australia, but this is a big story down under and you need to catch up on it because it is nutty. Have you heard about this uh, Melissa Caddick case? Till today, I knew nothing about it. It's a crazy mystery that's still developing out of uh, New South Wales, Australia, down there around Sydney. There's an inquest going on right now, which sounds like something out of the Salem Witch Trials, right? Inquests. We don't really do inquests around here anymore. Uh, but it's something they do in Australia as a way of gathering information on an unsolved case. Okay, first, Melissa Caddick. Caddick, uh, Melissa, was a financial advisor and a brilliant scam artist. A flim-flam woman, a huckster, a shyster. Some would say a ne'er-do-well. How often does she do well? Ne'er. Uh, the trouble with Melissa Caddick started right out of college when she listed fictitious degrees on her CVs, her resumes, her applications. She married a guy named Tony Caddick, had a kid. They lived in England for a time. And while they were in England, she told her husband she wanted to get back into the financial game and kind of relearn all that stuff. And so she said, hey, there's this conference in Switzerland I want to go to. So, you know, she took some money for this conference. And then the husband later learned she didn't really go to Switzerland for a conference. She went to Paris to hook up with her boyfriend, who was her hairdresser back in Sydney, a guy named Michael Coletti. That blows up their marriage. And she returns to Australia where she marries Coletti. Once she's back in Australia, she does this financial advisor thing again. Somehow she manages to convince her clients, which were mostly family and friends, to uh, let her invest their funds to the tune of like $30 million, which she didn't really invest and instead turned into a classic Ponzi scheme. Most of the money going back to her, she buys two big houses, along with luxury cars and artwork. A couple of years go by. Family and friends start to wonder, like, where is she getting all this money? Where is this coming from? It can't be from that money we gave her, right? The millions we gave her. She's All this time, she's creating fake financial statements to kind of keep ahead of the game, show them that they're really earning money when they're not. And again, this is one of those stories where, like, some people just can't think ahead to the end game. Like, what, where did she see this going? Eventually, this was all going to catch up to her. I just, I don't understand, I really want to understand that mindset, because it happens so often. It baffles me. Anyways, of course it caught up to her. By the end of 2020, the Australian Federal Police were, they, they were onto her. And on November 11th, they raided one of her big homes where she was at. She could be seen on police tapes in, in, in her home while they're searching and getting all this. They found hundreds of thousands of dollars in diamonds and jewelry, uh, cash in different denominations. And she doesn't seem all that afraid. She doesn't seem all that surprised. 
Um, she plays it cool. The next day after that raid, they don't arrest her. The next day, she disappears, vanishes off the face of the earth. Her son says, her son says he, he heard her leave around 5.30 a.m., figured she was going out to exercise. She's one of those people that like seems to be an obsessive uh, exerciser. Uh, you see pictures of her. She's real buff. Uh, that's usually hiding some sort of mental thing that's going on. That's a way to alleviate that uh, self-medication in a way. Uh, anyway, she left everything behind, including a cell phone. She vanished. Police, you know, after they realized she was gone, they're like, well, could this, could this be another crime? They searched the couple's home. Weeks later, there's no sign of blood, though. Couldn't find any sign of blood or struggle. The vehicles were still there. There were no blood in the vehicle. She's just gone. Now, here's the first big twist. On February 21st, 2021, a couple months later, a shoe washes up on Bordena Beach. Now, this is Australia, so February is summertime there. It's, it's you know, it's flipped because they're, un, you know, they're upside down. Um, <laughs> but this beach is hundreds of miles where they, they lost Salkatic. Uh, the shoe washes up, it, it, and inside the shoe is her foot. And they do a DNA test to confirm it. Yeah, that's, that's her foot. That's all that was found, though. Now, since then, they've been trying to figure out what happened. Was she murdered? Was it suicide? Um, is this some sort of elaborate hoax? Now, The Guardian has a, a great article on this in the liner notes of this podcast. They report that uh, Caddick was, uh, or, I'm sorry, that uh, her, her boyfriend, this um, hair, hairdresser guy, uh, Coletti, was interviewed just this week in this inquest. Um, and he says that, he denied helping her disappear because he, he waited like a day to report her missing. So uh, the police uh, kind of tracked down his whereabouts and found out that instead of reporting his wife missing, he goes to a friend's house and smokes some weed. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that seems a little weird. Um, now, Coletti is also out there. He's kind of a part-time DJ, too. He's one of these guys that does a little bit of everything. Uh, and apparently he's got some tracks on Spotify that he put together that are essentially diss tracks against the police. So this, this case kind of has everything. Um, the homes are being liquidated to pay off her clients. Now, given all the evidence, you know, disappearance, the shoe, we know when shoes wash up, it's usually a suicide. Uh, it seems to be probably suicide. She realized she was going down and just didn't want to do it. But... There are some people that are convinced that she chopped off her own foot as the perfect way to um, disappear. And nobody's going to look for you if, you if you give evidence that you're dead. And people point out, well, you can live a pretty decent life just missing one foot. So um, if you're out there in the Cayman Islands and you happen upon a woman with one foot that speaks with an Australian accent, give James Renner a little email or something. Last story for uh, tonight before we jump into cold case updates and genetic genealogy news. You got to hear about Debbie Collier. This is a developing story out of Georgia this week. Uh, this is a bizarre, another bizarre case. The body of 59-year-old Debbie Collier was discovered September 11th in a wooded area off Route 15 in Tallulah Falls. So we're coming at you from the Daily Mail and also a lot of other outlets. But the Daily Mail, you know... 
they they do their due diligence and they they get they get to some little tidbits that aren't in other 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 article uh, newspapers. So they have their moments and, and they do a good article for this. Uh, anyways, Debbie Collier, 59 years old, found in a wooded area off Route 15. When they found her, she was naked, and her body had been burned. Debbie lived 60 miles away from that location, by the way, in Athens, Georgia. What was she doing so far north? That's what the police wanted to know, who killed her and why. They're still trying to figure this out because of the weird details that have come out since her disappearance and murder. Um, so here's the deal. The day before her body was found in Tallulah Falls, Debbie stopped at a family dollar in Clayton, which is about 12 miles further north in Georgia. And in the, so they have the security footage, and she appears calm, and the cashier didn't notice anything strange. She's by herself. She buys a torch lighter, a blue tarp, a poncho, and a red tote bag. Shortly after leaving that store, she Venmos her daughter, Amanda, $2,385 and sends her a message that reads, quote, They are not going to let me go. Love you. There's a key to the house in the blue flower pot by the door. Um, and nobody can make sense of that. Is it, is it legit? Who are these people that will not let her go? The police, says, uh, the police say there's no signs of kidnapping here. They think it's something else. But what the actual F, you know? Um, Amanda, her daughter, is 36 years old. She lives with her boyfriend, Andrew Gigerich, who is an MMA fighter. And last May, police were called to their home after Amanda called 911. Said Andrew had broken into, their, into the house and beat her up. But then Amanda is arrested for falsely reporting a burglary because Andrew at the time was living there and had access to it. So it wasn't a burglary. Um, but then Andrew is arrested again in 2021 for violating a restraining order for Amanda when he showed up at her house. But then they get back together. Andrew allegedly had written a note that said, if you or your family ever come near me again, I will hurt them. Debbie herself was married to a man named Steve Collier. And neighbors say the night before she disappeared, they heard fighting and screaming at their home. So what in the world? I, how do all these pieces come together? It just shows you that you know people that seem like normal average citizens, we're all onions, right? We're all onions. We have all these layers. When you start peeling them back, they look fine on the outside. Start peeling them back, you find some dark spots in some of us. So I don't know what's going on there, but the answer should be surprising, no doubt. Hey, we're going to take a real quick break, uh, but when we come back, I have some cold case updates you're not going to want to miss, some genetic genealogy news, and we got to talk about this Gabby Petito thing happening on Lifetime. I'll be back in two and two. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we're back with Auto Man, starring Chuck Wagner. Uh, hey, as always, we have uh, helping out with the show. We have Walter Manning Camera. Say hello to everybody, Walter. All right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> cold case updates. Uh, 70-year-old James Krausnick was found guilty on Monday for the murder of his wife more than 40 years ago according to Oxygen.com. Now, this case is uh, compelling, but it's entirely circumstantial, so I really hope the jury was right on this one. Let me give you the facts. On February 19, 1982, someone murdered Kathy Krausnick with an axe. Sleeping in her head, uh, sorry, sleeping in her bed, and somebody, one swipe, bam, axe through the head, dies instantly, uh, in her home in Brighton, New York. And at the time, her husband, James, was working as an economist for Eastman Kodak. Now, he says he left home at 6.30 a.m. She was still breathing, still living, and he went to work. Returned to find her dead at the end of the day in the house in disarray, as if somebody had tried to burglarize them. Now, the really sad part of the story is that their three-year-old daughter was home with her that, that day um, and lived. Nothing happened to the three-year-old daughter. Um, police said the crime scene to them, it appeared as if it was staged and the axe handle was wiped clean of fingerprints. Now, a convicted killer later on confessed to murdering Kathy, but the police say his story doesn't match up and this is just a guy that 
likes to confess to things that he didn't really do. And they say there's no other suspects. That's kind of their whole case. Like, who else could it be other than the husband? Now, the daughter, who's three years old at the time, she's still standing by your dad, and she says she remembers a, quote, bad man. This is what she said when she was three years old. A bad man. She saw a bad man in their house on the morning of the murder. She believes her father is innocent. Sentencing is November 7th. Uh... What I mean, any sort of sentence is a life sentence for this guy at this point, at 70 years old. No sign of any sort of violent offense since then. So, what, you know, it's a, it's, it's a weird one. Um, if I was on that jury, I don't think I could have convicted based on that evidence. Although, he, you know, maybe he very likely did it. Uh, we got to talk about this other case. Uh, remember, we I mentioned this on the show a couple months ago. This is the story of Jonathan and Diana Tebby. And they pleaded guilty in federal court this week to a charge, a conspiracy to communicate restricted data, which doesn't sound sexy at all, but it really is. It's essentially um, spying. Uh, we're talking about espionage here. They got caught trying to sell documents about nuclear warships to a foreign country. What foreign country? They're not telling us. Um, Jonathan was working as a U.S. Navy nuclear engineer, and he put documents on a flash drive, and then he put that flash drive inside a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, left, and then he left that at a dead drop. And, it, and his wife, Diana, is working as a lookout when this is happen, happening. Really, what they were doing, though, was communicating with a U.S. agent that was working undercover and pretending to be an agent of a foreign government. It's a sting. Earlier this year, plea deal was rejected by the judge. The prosecutors in this case tried to enter a plea deal um, that called for 12 to 17 years for Jonathan and just three years for Diana. The judge called it, quote, strikingly deficient. Damn right it is. Um, the, you know, I very much a progressive uh, liberal. I'm all for reform um, and smaller sentencing. This is probably my only exception, is espionage and treason. I think with that, you don't need to lock them away in like maximum security where they're going to die, you know, at the hands of other inmates or anything like that. They're not violent offenders. You can put them in kind of that club-fed type of prison, but they should never enjoy freedom again because they were going to try to take it away from, from all of us. I mean, this could have gone very poorly. So... And by the way, as, as you can imagine with the Jonathan and Diana, their names, they're, they're just a couple, they're a white couple. Uh, imagine if they were Muslim. Would anybody be letting them off at three years? Now, uh, now they're facing maximum life in prison after that initial plea deal was rejected. Genetic genealogy news, I got a good one here for you. Stephen Downs was sentenced to 75 years in prison for the 1993 murder of Sophie Sergei uh, after he was identified thanks to genetic genealogy. This is according to the Sun Journal. He was just sentenced this week. Stephen was just 18 years old in 1993. Sophie was 20 years old. Stephen was a freshman at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, living in the dorm where Sophie's body was found in a bathtub. She was raped. She was stabbed gagged, possibly shot with a stun gun before she was ultimately shot in the back of the head and died from the from this wound. And they were able to determine it was fired from a 22. 
For decades, police had no leads, no suspects. Years later, though, police learned that a student in that dormitory, a guy named Nick Dazer, may have had a gun on campus. And they went and talked to him again, and they said, uh, and, and he told them at the time that, no, it was his roommate, this guy Stephen Downs, who actually owned a 22 caliber, caliber revolver back then. Uh, so they started looking at Stephen, and uh, jump forward a little bit. And by the way, they had semen from the crime scene. Now, pretty recently, Stephen's aunt had her DNA tested in one of those family tree um, genetic genealogy, not, uh, you know, one of those. And the genetic genealogist got a hit. And it said, hey, the, you know, the, the DNA from this semen is related to this, this, and it's probably her nephew. So they went and found all of her nephews, found that Stephen was at that dormitory. And then they went out and, of course, got a fresh sample. It matched. Defense uh, said that any sentence more than this is what his defense attorney is saying or said at the sentencing. Said any any sentence more than 20 years might as well be life for him. Stephen has uh, kind of let himself go. He's over 400 pounds. He has high blood pressure. And, he's, and this was their argument that at the time he was 18 years old. He was from Maine going to school in Alaska more than 4,000 miles away from home. There were long winter nights. He was smoking lots of pot and drinking. And they believed that what happened was some sort of psychotic break. Very possible, very possible, but doesn't get rid of, of culpability there. But man, you know, you, you end your life at, at 18, that's very sad. Um, and normally we go into some weird news now, and this is kind of weird, but uh, I think it's worth noting um, just because of the dilemma that we're facing with this case uh, remember that actor who played Rodney James in Diary of a Wimpy Kid? If you have kids, you know, they would have watched this movie a couple years ago. Um, well, anyways, the kid, he's about to go to prison. He's going to serve a life sentence uh, for murder. And his lawyers are asking for last-minute leniency. They want him to serve in a medium-security prison instead of maximum security which is where he's headed. Why? Because they correctly believe that he's going to be assaulted and possibly murdered if he's not kept safe. Look at the kid. You know, he looks like he's 17. He's, a, he's about 100 pounds. Um, this is a quote from his lawyer. We don't send people to prison so they can be punished by other prisoners. And this kid is not going to survive in maximum lockup. We all know that. Uh, so we're not you know, it's Canada. They don't want to give him the death penalty. Um, anyways, he's convicted of murder after killing his mother. Shot her in the head. Then he loaded his car with guns and was headed to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's estate to murder him. Uh, and he had second thoughts. Thought about mass shootings. He eventually drove home, was arrested. Let's go out on a limb here. I think, you know, I'm no professional, but this seems like a mental health issue more than anything else. And uh, I, I really hope this kid doesn't end up in Max prison up in Canada. Um, going to pop culture, we got to talk about the Gabby Petito story that's premiering tomorrow, Saturday, on Lifetime. Uh, this is just bad timing. 
I, and I'm going to predict that they pull this show uh, either before the premiere or shortly thereafter. There's such a call on social media to get rid of this, especially in light of the premiere of that new Dahmer series, which could be argued that, you know, you're showing it from some of the victim standpoints for the first time, but we don't need another Dahmer story uh, just for to capitalize on this true crime movement. In the Gabby Petito case, it's, what, like a year old? If, you know, uh, it's not even entirely finished through the courts. I think the families are still involved in some sort of suits or whatever. But there's certainly no sort of journalistic angle to that. It's simply entertainment. Um, and that's, that's the thing. You know, there's this big call to reform true crime right now. And I think the deal is most people are getting... They're lumping all of true crime together, where it's really two different things. There's true crime entertainment, like the Gabby Petito story. And there's true crime journalism, which is what the really good podcasts try to do. And there's a lot of the top podcasts are just entertainers. It's just entertainment. But the good ones are still journalism. So you got to, if you look into reform, reform the, the entertainment side. And this is definitely that. Here's a weird little thing about the Gabby Petito story that I learned today. The director is Thora Birch, which is just odd. I didn't know she was a director. She's, you know, she's that girl from uh, American Beauty way back when, the, the child actress. So um, that sucks. Let's check the charts. Uh, before we get into the, the actual charts this week, just about, you know, talking about the meta of podcasts, if you're interested in, in inside baseball, uh, there was a report issued by Time this week about podcasts that are using deceptive advertising to get automatic downloads for their podcasts and game the system. Specifically, what they do is they put ads on uh, video games on uh, app games where you have to kind of click it to get through it and then it, it triggers an automatic download so um, you got to play the game fair people or eventually eventually all that stuff comes out now what's interesting this week is that the top spots on the charts have all shifted around a bit uh, for the last few months it's been crime junkie and morbid at the top not so today. This is interesting. Uh, they're still in the top 10, but um, the number one spot is Internal Affairs, this new, this new podcast, and it's through NBC Dateline. And, and by the way, number two is Dateline itself, the podcast. So Internal Affairs is new, and here's the write-up. It happened on a frigid winter night. I'm going to try and do my best Keith Morrison or, or Josh Mankiewicz. It happened on a frigid winter night, first a sudden moment of terror, then a frantic search to find a costumed killer. Internal Affairs, Dateline's next original podcast series, takes us to northern Colorado and into an obsessive and deadly romantic affair, reported by Josh Mankiewicz. It's a story about bad choices, a fatal attraction, and men and women who proudly wore badges at work while living lies at home. Oh my. And when the day of reckoning came, the people with the badges had to investigate their own. 
Internal Affairs. Uh, that sounds cool. And I'm a big fan of Josh Mankiewicz. He's a really decent guy. I got to talk to him a little bit at last year's Crime Con, and he's been up this way to report on the Amy Mihalovic case. Just a really decent guy. And number four is Bone Valley, this new podcast. Listen to the write-up here. I won't do my Morrison anymore. Bone Valley is a nine-episode true crime podcast. New episodes are available for free every Wednesday. In 1987, 18-year-old Michelle Schofield was found dead in a phosphate pit in Florida. Two years later, her husband Leo was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Seems like a pretty open and shut case. Where's the podcast going? Well, 15 years later, previously unidentified fingerprints match Jeremy Scott, a violent teenager who lived nearby. Jeremy has since confessed to Michelle's murder. Check out Bone Valley. And that's the, sto- that's, the, uh, that's the news for this week, folks. And as always, we've survived and we're entering into the weekend, which is always cause to celebrate. Every Friday we celebrate. And, and why? Because on Fridays we've got to, 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 get down, damn it.